Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Read with Michelle Martin on Your Money. Only on Money FM 89.3. From Vietnamese women's sex traffic to China to the underworld Mama Sons and the invisible hands involved in the trade, Canadian-Korean author Sylvia Yu Friedman writes of the constant stream of women and girls enslaved and abused in Asia-Pacific, and she says history is repeating itself. The cycle of abuse is happening now in places like Cambodia, North Korea, South Korea, Myanmar, Indonesia. Her book is an astonishing memoir of her personal journey in the fight against slavery, a book in which we hear the unusually, the usually unheard, the voices of survivors, traffickers, even observers who bring the horrifying story of human trafficking in Asia to life. Do we have the power to make a difference in the lives of the marginalized? Let's find out. Sylvia U. Friedman, welcome to Read. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for having me. So you're a filmmaker, an investigative journalist, an international speaker, serial entrepreneur, a lot to get into. But I think for our listeners who might associate slavery with perhaps comfort women from Korea in the far distant past, can you give us a sense of modern slavery and who's involved? Yes. Well, it's uh, even in the backyard of Singapore. Uh, I've interviewed uh, women who were brought in from Indonesia and had their passports forged and made to be 10 to 15 years older than they were. And they were children working as domestic workers in Singapore and Hong Kong. And, uh, and because they were children in an adult's world, they really didn't have the maturity to handle uh, working and um, you know as a result many of them were abused exploited uh, some of them had um, ex- an exorbitant agency fees and they were working for barely nothing so we have that type of uh, domestic worker slavery that that goes on underneath our very noses and then we have the bars in the red light districts where uh, women from impoverished families usually are tricked and deceived and promised really good jobs in Singapore and Hong Kong or other places across the world. And uh, instead of, you know, working in, in the nice atmosphere that they were uh, promised, you know, they are made and forced to uh, have sex with dozens of men a night. Um, so we have uh, also in, in the red light districts, brothels, you know, where, uh, you know, women and girls are forced. So, um, yeah, there, there's a number of, of types of different exploitation, sexual exploitation, forced prostitution. And I wanted to document it into a type of textbook because there is no other book out there like it. I, I wrote the book that I wanted to read. And in the process of documenting these uh, forgotten women, these untold stories, it was an act of justice. It was an act of love because it was remembering and and documenting um, for the next generation forever, basically, so that they will never be forgotten and that we can learn from what's going on. And um, the heart of, of why I wrote this was to inspire professionals like you and me, um, we have the power of choice 
we we have the power of our decision making. We can fly here or there. We we can change jobs, but these girls and women could not. And that is something that is so unfathomable for for people like us because we you know we we can do anything really. So that. That was the heart of what I was trying to convey. Do you bring the the story back home here to Singapore and talk a little bit about the domestic workers uh, who were underage, for example? Do you share the stories of people who have been able to escape that situation? I did. I did. But, um, you know, unlike uh, Hong Kong and other cities, uh, domestic workers in Singapore have to work seven days a week. And um, but I did interview uh, a, a young woman who is now nearly 30. Um, hers is a story of hope, and I try to write all the stories with with a view to hope. Otherwise, you know, it's it's so easy to to just you know shut the book down mm. and to forget about it and just say I'm not touching that because I just want to watch you know a Marvel movie or <laughs> I just want to watch Crazy Rich Asians. And um, but it's it's prevalent in Singapore and in Hong Kong. And, you know, when I uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a group of, you know, especially Indonesian domestic workers, some of them look really young. And the young woman, uh, I'll circle back to the young woman now that I interviewed, Siti, uh, that's not her real name. Uh, but she was, I think, 13 or 14. She was basically a teenager, 13 or 14, when she was sent to uh, Singapore from Indonesia. Her her family was very, very poor and a predatory agent uh, because she wanted to make a buck, uh, recruited her, you know, tried to recruit as many people. So they started to recruit children. So she couldn't really handle working and she was working for a European family in Singapore and ended up being abused. And then she had to switch employers because it just became so untenable. And um, and even the second employer in Singapore abused her and uh, she was exploited and she ended up running away back home somehow. And then she was sent to Hong Kong. Again, same story, because my insight is she was never healed from the trauma of being a child slave. And she went from one frying pan to another. But the good news is I produced a documentary about this issue, Child Maids um, mm. in Asia. Mm-hmm. And she ended up falling in love or they fell in love with my cameraman, my cameraman and this woman, City, who ended up getting out of her predicament, finding a good employer here in Hong Kong. And they are getting married. In that a few is weeks. an amazing story. <laughs> Just tremendous. Isn't it amazing? It really is. I know, and I, wow. I love it. <laughs> it's glorious. Where can we watch this film? Is it available over the internet at all? Yes, yes. Um, I have a, a YouTube link. I could send it to you, and um, and you can. I will share it, it with feel. the listeners. Yes. Yeah. You can, yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> now, can you share with us maybe the many different chains of demand and supply that needs to be in play for modern slavery to still exist in Asia Pacific? You know, we think of manufacturing, the people putting together our clothes. Um, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, many different parts of the supply chain involved here. Could you highlight some of the demand and supply forces at work? Sure. Well, I, I'd say it's a lack of awareness that it wasn't until, I'd say, seven to ten years ago where people started to pay attention to, oh, who makes my jeans mm. and, and who, who makes my phone? And um, 
And I think there were some larger human rights organizations that were trying to highlight this. And there was a campaign where there was a note in a dress that yes. that uh, had a woman say, oh, I'm enslaved and I'm, um, you know, I made this dress, help me. And uh, that that is a reality in some of the supply chain factories that aren't, um, you know, monitored very well. Uh, but because of the attention, the spotlight that's been put on, on these issues, um, in large part, thanks to my husband, Matt Friedman, CEO of the Macon Club, mm-hmm. because of the raising of awareness, I think the companies are aware that it's a real bad business risk to have, you know, exploitation, slavery in third, fourth, fifth tier supply chain factories where it's not really, you know, monitored or they don't have an eye on that. So after this awareness, after the stories have been raised, after, you know, people power grassroots campaigns have been out there to put companies, you know, keep them accountable. So it's it's a cumulative effect. So I think that's why there is a movement to make sure that the the products that we wear, that we use every day are being ethically made, ethically sourced. And as for the prostitution side, mm. you know, there's demand. And, and I believe in part that's because there's an Asian mentality and perhaps global mentality that the girls who are selling their bodies are bad girls. They're immoral girls, or they want the money. They want a quick buck. And uh, I find that here in Hong Kong, and especially with the compensated dating, the girls and boys even, who sell their bodies so that they can finance, uh, you know, more lavish lifestyle or luxury handbags. But what the experts have told me, and I've written about, is that most of these girls are child sex abuse survivors, and they need healing. They need help. And they're not getting it. They're slipping through the cracks in school. They're, they're not getting the awareness and uh, the education uh, about, you know, beware of these predators online. And, you know, because WhatsApp and, and other social media tools are encrypted, it's even more dangerous because there's no, you know, accountability. There's no transparency in, in these uh, social media worlds. So most of these women are not sort of complicit and aware of the transactional nature of what they're stepping into. Many of them, for example, victims of this feudal systems is still at play in many of the poorest regions here in Asia Pacific, where you know parent, parents pay a dowry because they hope that their daughters are going to marry this stranger that's just walked into the village and then realize later that their child has been sold into sexual slavery. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head when it comes to feudal. You mentioned feudal systems and it's feudal mindsets where men, boys are more prized than girls, um, you know, in, in places like China. And that's led to more than 20 to 30 million more men. And that's why we have bride trafficking from, you know, North Korea, Myanmar, Vietnamese women uh, into China who are being sold uh, for as little as, you know, 300 U.S. dollars. Sometimes that's higher depending on uh, the woman, depending on the bridegroom's family. It's that mindset. And also what I found was in the old opium trading routes, Mm. you know, in Southeast Asia Mm -hmm. and and even parts of China, um, the cycle of 
slavery and drug addiction went hand in hand. And it was, you know, running through the generations. And I wrote about the historical wartime sex slavery by the Japanese military. And I had um, come across that as a teenager from my mother who read it in a Korean newspaper in in Vancouver. Uh, But I went into my library and there was no mention of the suffering of Asian women in my Eurocentric history textbooks. Um, Hence, you know, that that became a theme in my life. Like I wanted to write something, you know, in a book form Mm. that I wanted to read when I was a teenager because it's so vital to remember history and remember the the stories of these women and girls so that we can galvanize more people to help to help these women and to end this form of egregious sexual exploitation. Modern slavery is our topic today. Sylvia U. Friedman is the author of a new book called A Long Road to Justice, Stories from the Frontlines in Asia. What are some of the darkest spots in the story you tell in this book, Sylvia? Yeah, no, wow. There's so many of them, but I try to bring, you know, inspiration and life and light and love and hope and compassion. Some of the dark spots are, gosh, in the Philippines when I uh, interviewed this young girl who was um, forced into cyber pornography with her younger sister by her aunt and uncle. And um, that that was just so, so sad because she was still very um, affected by it, and I just felt so heavy talking with her. Uh, But the good news is that she was being employed and supported uh, by a social enterprise that that gave her a job in um, photoshopping real estate photos for an e-commerce site. And um, and then they offered her trauma healing, one of the first um, effective programs that I had seen, and I have as a journalist and as a philanthropy advisor to uh, billionaire families, um, I've been tracking and meeting survivors and NGOs over um, nearly 20 years. And that program in the Philippines is, is one, of, one of the best that I've seen, Regenesis. So that was a dark spot, as well as the, the traffic bar girls, the, the Filipina girls from some of the poorest regions in the Philippines to Hong Kong. That was a really dark spot because no one really saw them as trafficked in Hong Kong. But when I I wrote in this book and and I first wrote an investigative piece in the newspaper here exposing it, um, I had, you know, many women and even some men say, oh, wow, you know, they always look so happy. I didn't know they were miserable. And uh, because I had written about one woman who had to take drugs to cope uh, with with all, you know, the men that she had to sleep with all night. And she did it for her son. She was a single mom. Um, another dark spot. Uh, gosh, there's, there's just so many. It's mm. the Japanese military sex slave survivors who haven't received a healing apology even to this day. They've received um, some apologies over the years, but it, it hasn't satisfied them on a heart level, on a deep, profound healing level where they feel like, okay, this apology from the government of Japan has really 
um, set me free to, you know, to bring closure to this historical wound. And there was another story of the girl who was chained like a dog. Oh, it's just she she was in mainland China, and you know there there was a, a story that went viral of the woman in Suzhou recently, the mother of eight. She was chained by the neck in, in the and she was in the freezing cold. Uh, and that video was viewed two billion times all over the world. And uh, but I had uh, about seven years ago, I, I had interviewed a young woman who was also chained in in that manner by her elderly husband, and she was tricked by her friend's auntie into, you know, going somewhere and then she was locked in in this apartment for or in a room in an apartment for 2 weeks, starved, beaten, and then she complied. And um, you know, although she was helped by an NGO and she said she wanted to help other women prevent them from getting into this bride trafficking uh pain, when I looked into her eyes, I could I could tell that, you know, it she was still scarred and and that really broke my heart because I thought, you know, there's so many resources out there. And um but what's missing is we don't have a lot of trauma counselors in in places like China and places, you know, in 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 some of the the surrounding countries. And I, you know, I just really wish that we could mobilize more people or that that there could be more resources for this girl Maylee. Um, and so that was the impetus uh, of me writing this book, of me speaking about it, mm. and uh, yeah, just trying to get more people to care. We followed the the life of Sun Yi, the Chinese engineer who wrote that note um, that was found by an American woman when she was opening a Halloween decoration. So this was a Chinese engineer who found himself a political prisoner locked in a gulag, um, and you know creating these Halloween decorations, right? And he manages to get his voice out to the world because of this folded piece of paper he smuggles into the decorations he's making. And we spoke with Amelia Pang, who wrote a whole book uh, exposing the, the, the shadow economy of, of forced labor. And we linked it back to businesses because we were trying to drive home the point of, you know, what can be done. So I'll put that same question to you. How do you think business leaders can support ending the slave trade in Asia Pacific, given what you've seen and written about? So I've I've tracked with directed money to dozens and dozens of NGOs that were in this space and I believe that it's the corporations that can make the biggest impact. That's that's what I've come to conclude because they can use their influence and their resources to make a call. And in that one, you know, just in that one instance, they, they have the power to affect change that, that NGOs that are rescuing people out of exploitation cannot do. So I don't do this kind of work, but my husband does through the Mekong Club. So I, I would say that, you know, connect with groups like my husband that works with corporations and banks in a supportive way. And they gather other companies and banks together uh, to discuss how, you know, strategies, and they inspire and encourage one another. And in that safe place, they can come together, and they have helped so many more people uh, at a fraction of the cost. Um, so as a philanthropy professional, this is a work that I would champion, and, and I would really urge more companies to get involved. I think companies are afraid of the namers and shamers, and rightly so, uh, but this kind of safe forum um, that the Mekong Club provides is really invaluable. It, it's helped so many, and uh, I think that's the way to go. And professional men and women, 
lawyers, accountants, broadcasters like yourself, librarians, teachers, we all have a major part to play. We can use our our talents, our time, our resources to give and make a difference, even if it's just a one-time thing or it's raising awareness online. You know, if if we forget about it and say, oh, well, I'm just one person and everyone thinks that way, then nothing will happen. And I really, I truly believe that it's these small acts multiplied by millions of people that will truly change our world. And women, especially women, I, I just see, I foresee a women's movement rising and in China, with, with the story of the Suzhou woman, it sparked a, a, like a real unprecedented rage and movement among young women and even some men. And so I foresee that there's going to be a, a major movement of, of women rising up because it's time. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the older women have paved the way and they've paid the price being called Dragon Lady and, and so on. But there's a new generation. So that's I, I feel optimistic. I, I feel I feel like, yeah, there's hope. There's hope that with more education awareness that, that people will do something. And your book certainly helps in that regard when it comes to awareness. Thank you so much for taking us beyond the page. Sylvia U. Friedman is author of A Long Road to Justice, newly published by Michelle Martin. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.